0: Hey, 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 what's going on, everyone? You are now listening to Resilience in Action with Aaron Brown. Chord. What's going on, everyone? I'm Aaron Brown, and you are listening to Resilience in Action with no one else but Aaron Brown. And today, I'm super duper excited because we got Chris Scott in the building. Okay, Chris is a national multi award winning senior electrical and automotive engineer. He's a professional speaker, he's an author and entrepreneur. But I'm going to let Chris take
1: over. Chris, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, how's it going? First off, Aaron, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the platform. And I am. Um, Born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, uh, still residing in a suburb, um, about 40 minutes outside of the center of Detroit. Uh, Right now, I am currently a senior electrical and automotive engineer for the Department of Defense, so... I worked with high-performance computers, I worked with robotics, I worked with uh, designing armor, and now I'm back into working with uh, automotive s- active safety systems, like, you know, in your car, how you have, uh, you know, forward collision warning or backup warning, things like that. So I'm working on uh, developing a system for large military trucks to put those types of uh, sensors on the truck. So uh, with that, I've been speaking actually for over... 15 years. I've officially been in business for uh, close to five years. Being a speaker, Congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, being a speaker, primarily speaking to colleges, but also speak to corporations as well. Just recently, uh, late last month, released my first book, which is Control Your Mindset to Control Your Life, which I'm very, very proud of and is doing well. And I'm able to impact lives uh, from that. And in addition, I also own a E-commerce store, which uh, this shirt I'm wearing, you can't see it, it's called, I'm black and. And so the idea behind this was to actually have apparel that turned the negative stigmas and stereotypes about about the black community into positive apparel, right? So for instance, there's a myth about black fathers being absent in their kids' lives. Well, that's actually a myth. So I have a shirt that says I'm black and and a great father because black fathers get so much slack for, you know, this myth of not being in their lives, not being active, being dead beat dads, but that's just not the case. I know a lot of great black fathers, but the studies have shown that black fathers are actually the most involved in their kid's life out of any ethnicity, the CDC did a study on that. So uh, I'm married uh, to my beautiful wife. we will actually be celebrating uh, 13 years of marriage this year. We have two beautiful children, Mia and Justin. And I am blessed, and I'm happy to be here. Awesome, awesome. So you are you are doing your thing,
0: thank you. Like, yeah you are doing your thing. um, kudos to releasing your first book. that's awesome. Um, I just released my first book back in December, so I understand that first book those first book jitters. Yes, so, congratulations, Erin, that is thank awesome. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so yes, back, no, back to you. Congratulations on the book. Um, how did you get started in the the automotive engineering? How did you, how did you,
1: what, where did that come from? Well, actually, when I was younger, My dad, you know, although he's, you know, my dad didn't go to college, he graduated high school, went into the army, fought in Vietnam, came back and worked for Ford Motor Company, retired. But my father read a lot. He's very intelligent because he he read a lot. Right. So he would read the paper and different magazines like Time magazine, and he would always see that in the future, engineering was going to be a huge part of the future. And so my my mom and dad, they decided to put me into these different extracurricular activities Mm -hmm. that allowed me to explore engineering as a child. And I like technical stuff. I like breaking stuff and putting stuff back together, repairing things. But as a result of going to these extracurricular activities, I had a hands-on experience to actually build things, work with other engineers. And from that, I said, you know what? I want to go and I want to do this because I want to learn how computers work on the inside. I I want to learn how TVs work, how cell phones work. And so that led me to going into electrical engineering. And then once I graduated from electrical engineering, I got my master's in business. And then from there, I went into automotive engineering. And one of the reasons I went into automotive engineering is because A, I wanted to go into engineering and realize that I could do it. I know we'll get okay. into this, but undergrad really kicked my butt early on. And so after I graduated from EE, I said, you know what? I can do this. I can do it. So I'm going to apply for a grad program. And I went into automotive automotive engineering because in the military, a lot of the different technology is vehicle-based, right? We have tanks. We have um, other vehicles that are armored and unarmored. And I wanted to actually learn about designing Vehicles, right? So I could have more knowledge about how the actual military vehicles work, which would then give me the experience of trying to develop and help them to become better. So uh, as a part of my job, I said, you know what? I'm working with a lot of vehicles, I'm helping to design vehicles. I need to, you know, get a little bit better in my knowledge base for this. And that led me to going into automotive engineering.
0: Nice automotive engineering. Okay. Um, do you do you speak about automotive engineering? Is that something that you're, um, like when you do presentations, do you uh, present to different corporations about that? Or do you have a, a another niche that you hone in on?
1: You know what, actually speaking about engineering for me started with, you know, as soon as I, uh, in college and also when I got out of college, I started going and speaking to a lot of K-12 students because with me being a black engineer, and less than 6% of degrees are awarded to Black people on an annual basis. So I said, Mm -hmm. you know what? I want to go into the school system. I want to talk about what I do. I want to get these kids excited about going into engineering. So that's kind of where it started. Um, But in speaking to colleges and corporations, I actually speak on mindset, I speak on resilience, I speak on leadership and emotional intelligence. Um, to the college students, I speak about college success strategies, but uh, I was doing that early on, even now, but I'm looking to pivot the business and leverage the 20 years of engineering experience that I have in electrical automo- autom- automotive engineering and do more corporate speaking as well. Okay. 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 Awesome. What would, who Who's like your target audience when it
0: comes to um, corporate speaking and talking about your automotive engineering?
1: Well, you know what? My target audience for corporate speaking uh, right now is other engineers. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason being is because in the engineering industry, we're so technical, we're so analytical, and a lot of us need improvement on those soft skills, right? Uh-huh. Um, in terms of how to be a better leader, because it's all about technology, it's all about the analysis, it's all about the data. But in order to have different project projects coming to fruition and being able to lead large teams to build this technology, you need to know how to deal with people. And so, primarily right now, I'm working with other engineers, um, talk to them about mindset, talk to them about resilience, because you know, in, in engineering, a lot of other fields. When you build stuff, it doesn't work right away. Mm-hmm. It, it 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 fails, and sometimes you can be overwhelmed with the amount of stress that comes along with with working and looking at all of this data all day long. So, being able to teach about that, being able to teach about leadership as well and emotional intelligence. So,
0: gotcha, gotcha.
1: Okay, so what sets you,
0: Chris, apart from the other engineers? Um, who who are more data-driven and focused on the analytic analytics. How, what made you be able to say, okay, this is the soft skills that you also need to couple with, you know, knowing how to do the analytics and, and reading the data. Where did that come from? Where, talk about that, Chris, for a little bit.
1: Yeah, well, you know what? I mentioned I had a 20-year engineering career. And in that career, I've had both good leaders And I've had bad leaders, Mm. and I I noticed that the bad leaders that I had, they were focused on you know the uh, progress of whatever project I was working on, and they were interested in the output of everything we were doing. But when it came down to talking to people, they didn't know how to talk to people. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was a one team leader some years ago, and at a team meeting, he said that this is the way that we're going to do things. And if you don't like this, you can go to hell. And this was a leader in the organization. And I said, (laughs) you know what? (laughs) I, I wanted to find out, okay, being an engineer, I have a very analytical mind, but how can I be technical, but also work well with other people and be Mm -hmm. a good leader. So then I started to read leadership books. I started to go to leadership trainings and and things like that, which allowed me to then lead large teams, right? I've led a team at one point in my career of over a hundred people. I've led budgets with teams over $250 million. And that was all a result of having bad leaders, learning about what it took to be a good leader and putting it into practice, and then say, hey, you know what? i talked to a lot of engineers at the job, and they wanted to have better people skills and being able to work well with others, and also they realized that in order to go to the next level, they needed to know how to lead, Mm -hmm. and they needed to have that good emotional intelligence, and so then I said, well, I think this is something that a lot of other engineers could actually use.
0: Okay. What, do you, what, what skills do you think make a great and excellent leader?
1: Well, I think uh, being a good listener. Mm-hmm. Also, that's number one. I think being a good listener, but also knowing how to communicate with people. Absolutely. Because I, I see that sometimes people, they might say, hey, I'm, I'm just blunt. I say what I say, everything that that comes to mind, I just say it. Mm -hmm. And okay, that's okay. I understand you have a certain opinion and and you, you have a way that you want to say things, but there's a proper way to speak to people. And people want you to speak to them in the right way and approach them with respect. So knowing how to communicate, knowing how to talk to people, in addition to knowing your workforce. I know that sometimes if you lead a large organization, You're not going to be able to know every single person, but I think you need to do your best in order to learn your workforce. Mm -hmm. Because at that point, you can know what makes them tick, right? What things make them excited? What things make them angry or frustrated? And if you can get into the mind of your workforce and be able to cater to what they want, And I think that helps them to do their job better. And it helps them believe that you are a leader that that supports them. And also being a servant to the people that work with you, that work for you, right? So it's not all about me because the workforce, they're the ones that are down in the weeds doing all the work. So I have to serve you. I have to be able to know what it is you need to be successful. What skills do you need? How do you like to be rewarded, right? And so being able to let the workforce know that, hey, I'm here to serve you because I want you to be the very best person you can be, the very best professional you can be. Because when you're at that point in your career and you feel good about coming to work and you feel good knowing that you have a leader that supports you, then you're going to actually do what you can do to make the organization better and do the work the best way that you can. I love it. I love it, so so. being a good
0: listener, a good communicator, knowing your workforce, knowing your team, right? And being of service and being a servant. Like I, I love, love, love um, to get with my people and really, really learn how they learn because I think that's a big thing too. We don't all learn the same. Different. one person might be visual one one person they might have to like get in the weeds and do it themselves a few times you know learning your people like that's that's very very valuable y'all I hope y'all heard that because that was some very valuable information that chris just shared and um this this is a, a podcast about resilience but resilience and leadership it, it goes hand in hand it goes hand in hand and and Learn, wanting to learn how to become a better leader, you can start with those four things. Chris, say
1: them again. Uh, being a good listener, being a good communicator, knowing your workforce, and being a servant to your workforce.
0: Perfect, perfect. Yeah, listen, I that's about three times I think we've said that collectively. <laughs> so if y'all don't get that, y'all going to have, I don't know what y'all doing out there. But yeah, I wanted to make sure that we repeated that. Um, because a lot of our listeners are um in the process of learning more about leadership and you know who they want to be in the future. And that's a what that's a great place to start right there. Definitely. Okay, so let's dive into those those four um those four key skills. Listening. What makes someone a good listener?
1: Well, one of the best things that makes someone a good listener is actually giving the person that's talking a chance to talk without interrupting them. That is key because a lot of times when, when you know, you're, you're maybe listening to somebody, they're talking and you're cutting in and you're interrupting what they saying, right? So just sit back and let them finish their thoughts. And after that, Then you can actually chime in and give feedback and follow up on some of the things that they said, but let them finish first. And me, I'll be honest, I was so programmed at one point to just want to get what I was saying out that I would interrupt people a lot. And I had to, I actually went to some training. Uh, My job provided some training on being a better listener. And that's when I started to realize, like, wow, Chris. You were interrupting people a lot. So you didn't even let them get it out. So now, even with my wife, you know, I would be, t- she would be talking to something and then automatically for me, I'm a problem solver, I'm analytical. So I would jump in. Oh, babe, yeah, this is what you got to do. You need to do this, you need to do that. But all the time, she wasn't even looking for me to solve it. She wanted me to just listen, just empathize with her and just let her talk. So let the person talk until they finish what they're saying. And many of the times you'll notice that once they finish, they might ask, so what do you think? Do you understand what I'm saying, or what do you think about this? Or yeah, they might say, "Hey, well, thanks a lot for listening." Right? They'll give you cues to let you know what you should do next in that conversation.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's when you take that. That's when you when you speak up. But absolutely, letting I have a, I do, I have a tendency of of cutting people off. Um, it's I. I I'm not doing it out of malice. It's not on purpose. But like you said, like we have something that we want to say. I'm also a problem solver. So I'm like, okay, I'm listening. I'm already thinking of what you, what I think you should be doing. I'm the same way. Yo. And the whole time, and the whole time, I'm just supposed to be shutting up and listening. So right. I've had to, you know, I've had to learn that over the years as well. Mm-hmm. And so I, we have that in common. Yeah. What makes someone a great communicator?
1: Oh, what makes someone a a great communicator is first knowing who you're talking to, because Uh you talk to different people in different ways, right? I talk to my wife a different way than I would talk to my homeboy, right? But also being confident in what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Right. That's one of the things, too. There are times in the past where I just wasn't confident in what I was saying. So I was going all around what the conversation was about because I just wasn't confident in what I was saying. I didn't have enough information. So I just went round and round in the circles and really nothing got solved. And um, no. And um, no additional information even got talked about because I just wasn't confident in, in what I was saying, mm-hmm. but also being calm when talking with somebody. I noticed that a lot of times in leadership, sometimes when other leaders would get angry, they would kind of raise their voices. And then when they raise their voices, the tension rises in the room. But if you're communicating with somebody and you're giving good information and you're giving good feedback and you're calm while you're talking, it sets the tone for the conversation so that you can say, hey, you know what? Okay. I understand. Even if it's a tense conversation, you can set the tone by remaining calm, right? In order to let some information out or say something, I don't have to yell like, oh yeah, yeah. No, I can say what I want to say. And I can say a calm voice. Hey, Aaron, I didn't like how you said that. It made me angry, but I want to talk about it. And I want to find out what made you say that to me that way so that we can kind of work through this together, Mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Communication is key.
0: And I'm big on, I like to speak face to face or FaceTime to FaceTime or whatever. I just, there's so much that can be lost in translation through a text message, through an email, you know, um, I want to see you when we're talking because Mm -hmm. you can, you could be saying one thing, but your body is saying something totally different your face is saying something totally different. And I think that is also a great skill for leaders to have is, I mean, yes, listen to what your people are saying, but also reading body language. What is their face saying? Like get into, get into that. Because if you don't, you could be missing a whole bunch. Hey, 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 y'all. Listen, it is time for some action. If you are enjoying the content that you've been listening to, I need you to rate and review. That's it. That's all. Make sure you go to wherever you're listening to this podcast and rate and review it for us. We appreciate you so much. Let's get back to some resilience. We've, we learned what a good listener is, a um, good communicator. Learning your workforce, how important is that?
1: Oh, learning your workforce is critical because you wanna know the type of people that work for you because then you know what they're capable of, you know the things that make them angry, you know the things that make them happy, you know, uh, even in some instances you get to know what their home life is like, right? Which is important. So knowing those key things about your workforce, you will be able to serve them the right way. Mm-hmm. So for example, uh, one of the, one of my coworkers, he has some issues going on at home with his family. He's taking care of his uh, sick parents and things like that. So when it came down to performance time, he didn't want a cash bonus. He wanted the time, mm-hmm. right? And so he was happy to, to get that time, right? You have some people who like to be recognized in a public forum. All right? But you also have some people who don't like the limelight, and they like you to just recognize them on the side and say, hey, great job, Chris. So knowing those things can be critical, and also, you know how people you know how people work, right? So you have some uh, workers that may stay very late, right? They may s- stay two or three hours past the time as supposed to work, right? You have other ones that might get up and leave at Five o'clock, they went in at nine. Five o'clock, they're gone, right? So you can kind of cater to those different workers. So knowing your workforce allows you as a leader to be able to delegate the right way and to be able to set the structure of the organization and how things can go. So for me, I know there's been teams I've worked on where I never saw the leader at all. Wow. They were so busy. Yeah. They never showed their faces. They never walked around. Nothing. Right. And then I had it where the only time I would see him is when something was wrong. Nope. Right. And so if that's the case, whenever they turn up, you're like, oh, man, what's wrong now? And that gives you that anxiety, gives you that, you know, feeling in your stomach like, dang, now something is wrong. But I had good leaders who. They will take their time and they would take generally between 30 minutes and an hour. And they would get up, come out of their office, and they will walk around the entire floor. And they will talk to every single person on the team. And it wasn't just about work stuff. It was about, hey, how are you doing? How's your family doing? Oh, that's awesome. Hey, when are you, when are you planning to take your next vacation? Where are, you, where are you going? Or if the person was just coming back from being sick, hey, are you healing well and everything like that? You know, if you need to take more time off, just let me know. It's not a problem. And so then you're developing a more personal relationship. And that's not saying that you have to be best friends, with your, you know, someone who works with you, works for you. But it is saying that, hey, this person cares about me more than just what I can produce at the job. They care about me as a person. People like to be cared about as a person, not just for their output, but for them being a human being, because we're all human. So when they see that you care about them on a level outside of just what they can do at work, it creates and cultivates a better relationship between the two individuals as well. See, love it. Love it. That was thorough.
0: That was a thorough answer. That was real thorough. Okay. We're just going right to being... And actually... If you want to answer a being of service, but literally every everything you said from li- from being a good listener, being a good communicator, learn learning uh, your workforce, that all leads up to being of being a servant leader. Like everything you explained. So if there's something extra you want to throw in there, by all means. But everything you said leads us right to right into being a a servant leader and the epitome of what that will look like.
1: That's right. And just tying tying all that together, right? You're listening to your workforce. You're listening so you know what they want. You know what they need. Then you're able to communicate with them, right? The goals and the objectives of the organization. You're able to take policies and all those things and and communicate and even develop policy and things like that around what they already told you. And then from that, you get to know them on a more personal level and, and how they work. And that all leads to being a servant leader. So you take all of those things and now... I can build and I can support and serve a workforce because I have all of this other data, right? Aaron, I know that you're having, you know, some challenges in this area. Hey, Aaron, I saw this training, you know, it's out of town, you would be going for a week. Would you like to go? I think it'll help out with the area that you told me you were having some challenges in. What do you think about that? Oh, hey, Aaron, you know what? I know that uh, you you, you, you uh, said that you have something going on tomorrow. So, hey, you know what? You don't need to report the data back to me tomorrow. I know you got something going on. What about early next week? Is that okay? Is that better? So then you can go to then serving the workforce because now you have all of that data and you can now put it into practice. Love it.
0: Love it. Love it. Love it! Le- this resilience in action turned to leadership in action, real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, let's let's switch gears. Right, Chris, tell me about a time when you were in a project or whatever the case may be,
1: and you fell flat on your face. Yeah. Okay. I definitely will. Um, so, this is actually a time when I was in college just before I actually graduated. So, I was mm-hmm. an intern working for the, the, the Department of Defense. And I had a situation where, you know, I was struggling. I was, my time management wasn't good. I was procrastinating a lot. And there was this one class that it was a tough class. And I had failed like the first test. I failed the second test. And the only way I could pass this class is if I passed this third test. And so I felt at the time that I I studied more than I did before. I thought that I did better, but I got my test back, failed. I got an F on that test, which meant that I did not pass that class. And at that point, I was like, oh, God, now what am I going to do? Because I have to wait another year to take this class. Because when you're engineering the specialized classes, they only offer them once a year. Mm -hmm. So I had to wait another year to take that class. This class, by the way, was a prerequisite for other classes that I had to take. So I'm like, man, how am I going to even build my schedule up to be able to continue to move forward academically? But what I didn't know, Aaron, is, you know, so I got to the car. Looked at the test. Immediately I just broke down in tears in my car. I'm banging on the steering wheel. I'm beeping the horn. And uh, you know, at that time I didn't know that I was going through depression and I had anxiety disorder really, really bad. I didn't know the signs because mental health mental health was not discussed in my house. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, I was just gonna give up. I actually considered suicide. I was going to go and, you know, drive off of this bridge into the river. I was going to get some alcohol mix them with some pills and all that type of stuff. And I didn't uh, thank God because, you know, God spoke to me in those moments and told me everything was going to be okay. And they did, but I literally just, I fell flat on my face and I was about to give up thankfully i didn't and i was able to improve along the way to actually become better and graduate and things like that okay all right
0: what um what what systems or what strategies did you use to help pull yourself out of that depression and how did you manage your anxiety
1: right right well the first thing i did was come to realization that i needed some help Mm -hmm. and i didn't even know at that point like what to do? Because I'm like, okay, I know I feel bad. I know I feel like there's a dark cloud over my head every single day. I wasn't sleeping maybe hour and a half, two hours a night because my mind was racing on all of these what if scenarios that were all bad. So at that point, you know, once I considered suicide, I said, I, I got to get out of this dark place. And so I realized I needed help and I went and got the help I needed. So my job actually offered mental health therapy that you could sign up for at work on a confidential basis. So I started to go see a therapist twice a week for a year or two, actually. And it was it was great because I just never knew that I could Talk to somebody, and they can give me sound advice and professional advice on how to get better within my mental health. So, I believe that that was one right. And one of the reasons I didn't believe that I could find somebody to talk to somebody is because my parents are baby boomers, and so they were born in the 40s. So, when you deal with some issues, you suck it up, you keep going right. Um, therapy at that point, there's a the stigma therapy was primarily for white people,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: not only that. You don't need to go to this person and tell them all of your business. You keep your business to yourself. And so that's the way I had been programmed. So going to a therapist was realizing I needed help was the first step. Then actually going and getting that help was the second step. And then the third step was getting my spiritual foundation together. I grew up in a household and there are many black households where you're going to go to church. your parents are going to force you to go to church. You're young. You really don't have a choice in going to church. And so once I got old enough, I said, forget church. I'm not going. They can't make me go anymore. I'm done. And so I wasn't praying. I wasn't going to church. I wasn't reading the Bible. I wasn't doing those things that I needed to enrich myself spiritually and feel like I was more connected to God. Mm -hmm. And so getting that right, I was able to go and find a great church home, which is actually a church I still go to today. And some really good brothers and sisters that kind of took me in. They were able to talk to me. They were able to speak life into me and even getting back into praying and reading my Bible more. So I was able to do that. And then when it came to managing my anxiety, I had to stop letting the things that I couldn't control, control me. Say that again. Because all of the All of the stuff I was stressing over and my mind was racing over, 95% of that stuff I could not control. Mm -hmm. But it was driving me crazy, right, to the point where I could barely think about anything good because I was thinking about all of this bad stuff happening, which, by the way, almost none of it even came to pass. And I was thinking about all this stuff. So realizing that, Chris, there's a small amount of things in your life that you can control. Those other things that you can't control, you have to let those things go and let them be and focus on the things that you can control. And that helped me to get better within my my anxiety. In addition to, I have different things that, so for instance, even now, I'm not ashamed to say I still go to therapy every single week Mm -hmm. because even though I'm not currently going through depression or deep anxiety disorder, I like to vent. I like to talk about stuff because every day and every week is not great. And I have challenges in those weeks. So being able to talk to a professional is is good. And I have the tips and techniques to kind of guide me through because in life you're going to deal with obstacles no matter what you do. So having those tools in order to deal with those obstacles is very important. So now I have the list of scriptures that I have that I look at when I'm dealing with certain things. So if I'm really anxious about something, like my dad had to get, uh, you know, he fractured his hip. In 2020 and 2021, and then, you know, just thinking about the surgery and it's going to go well and all this, you know, I've received some anxiety. But then I have scriptures that I can look at in order to uh, allow me to feel better and to know, you know, like, hey, God is with you. The Lord will never forsake you. He will always be with you. Mm -hmm. You know, leave your burdens to the Lord. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. All these things I'm reading, and not only that, I'm reading them, and I'm saying them out loud, and I'm personalized these things to me. So when he says you, I say, Chris, I replace mm-hmm. you with Chris, right? Because I'm personalized to me, and I'm actually saying these things over and over, and I'm thinking about them, and I'm reading them. And while I'm doing all of these things, the structure literally of my brain is changing. I'm creating neural pathways based on the things that I'm reading and I'm saying and I'm thinking and it helps me to actually feel better. And now that's how I deal with my anxiety. I have to let go of the things that I can't control and I have to embrace the things that I can and the things that I can't that are bothering me. I pray about it, right? I go to God about it. God, can you please take this burden of these thoughts of this, which I cannot control off of my heart and off of my spirit. You know, and I do that often. That's kind of how I control my my anxiety. So realizing I needed help, Mm -hmm. getting that help with a therapist, getting my spiritual foundation right with God, and then using the tips and techniques from therapy and applying the word of the Bible and the sermons to my life it are for the things that have actually helped me continue to help me to be better within myself when it comes to anxiety and challenges I'm going through awesome awesome I love it
0: I love it I do but I truly truly believe that you know we talk about what we feed like what we eat like if we're on um dieting or whatever right we're we're trying to feed our bodies right but how often we're like what are are you thinking about the things that you're feeding your mind and that is, that is very, very powerful because if you are stuck in depression, stuck in a dark cycle and you're continuously feeding yourself the same stuff that you were, you were listening to, the same content you were um, ingesting prior, like in that dark, you're never going to get out of it. So finding that shift, bringing that light in, is what's going to help you, you know, climb out of that, get out of that hole and, and, and be, and, and, and ultimately have a greater human experience.
1: Yes. Yes, that's right, Aaron. And before, you know, I thought it was a bunch of hocus pocus stuff. Oh, what you think about what you say? And I can't really change you. You know, all oh, saying these positive things, that's not going to make you feel bad. I didn't believe it until I had to use it. In my own life to get me out of a dark place. And, you know, in going through what I went through, I started to be interested in neuroscience, right? I'm not a neuroscientist or anything like that, but I do read a lot of books and a lot of information and data on neuroscience. And what you said It's true because if you're constantly embedded in all of this negative stuff and these things that make you feel bad and you're talking about it, then you're thinking about it, and then you're reading about it, and then you're watching it, you are programming your mind based on all of that stuff. And then once you program your mind with those things on a conscious level, then it flows into your subconscious level. And that's who you become. That's the type of information that you gravitate to. And you become programmed in that because a lot of the things that we do now, it's on a subconscious level. So the subconscious level is where most of the things are actually happening, right? And, and people, some people don't realize that and they're feeding themselves junk all of the time. That's one of the reasons why I don't watch the news a lot. I stay aware and in the know, but there's no reason for me to watch the news at 8 o'clock, at 9 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night, and they're talking about the same death and murder and rape and war and deaths from COVID and all that stuff because then what am I doing? I'm programming myself based on this information. That's going to increase my anxiety. It's going to increase my fear, and I just don't want to that way. And so I embed myself with a lot of empowering information. I watch a lot of motivational speakers, uh, Les Brown, Inky Johnson, E.T. the Hip Hop Preacher. I watch a lot of those things and I take in that information. And even my own mother, I have my mom, you know, she's retired. My mom and dad are retired and they're at home. They don't drive anymore. So a lot of times all day long news, 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 news. And she's calling me, well, oh, Chris, you know, Mia's going to daycare and I just saw something in Massachusetts about how this daycare hurt this baby. And I have to tell mom, mom, you gotta stop watching this stuff all the time. Watch something that you enjoy, something that makes you happy, right? Because her fear is getting increased. Her anxiety is getting increased. She's getting, you know, PTSD off all this stuff and then she's feeding it to me. So I, I have to even with my own mom say, hey mom, I don't want to talk about that stuff right now. Mm -hmm. What good happened in your day to day? Tell me about a good memory that you had about grandma or about growing up, about with granddad, or something like that. Tell me something good. You know, we talk about that, those things. and, And being positive and having and being optimistic and consuming positive information, that does not mean that you are blocked off to the reality of life. Right? Because you can be positive and optimistic, and you have to still deal with reality Mm -hmm. of not everything is peachy and not everything is rosy, but having a more optimistic mindset and looking at things from a more positive perspective, it helps you to deal with those moments, those obstacles that may come in a better way, right? If you're constantly thinking about all this negative stuff and all, nothing good is going to happen, nothing is going to be great. Okay, well, once the obstacle comes down the line, you're going to be in that same mindset. Oh, mom got to get a surgery. Man, a surgery is not going to be good. Oh, what am I going to do? No, you're if you're positive about it, you're able to have hope mama's going to pull through. She's a strong person. This is a great hospital. She has a great doctor. I believe in him. She's going to be okay, right? It helps you in those times when obstacles do come. So you can be positive, optimistic, and still be realistic and deal with reality. And by the way, it's going to help you deal with reality when things that are unpleasant come along. Mm -hmm.
0: Yep. 100%. 100%. Um, Learning how to, to navigate this life, right? is difficult and and we can either make it easier for ourselves or harder for ourselves and a lot of people tend to take the hard road and i was one of those people who who took the hard road for for a while you know Mm -hmm. and and coming out on this side seeing life through a whole different perspective I'm like, well, well, dang! Why was I doing that for so long? (laughs) (laughs) I was, I was that, I was, I was that person. I was that Aaron because I'm, I am who I am. I'm a a human having a human experience, like trying to have a greater human experience, and that's right. And and having a realization, being able to look at this side where I was and watch my growth over the past several years to who I've become. Mm -hmm. And knowing who I am going to become is is like I should have done this a long time ago. <laughs> right, right, right. You right. know, I should have turned off the news. Like I stopped. I did. I stopped watching news a while ago um, yeah. because there's there's out of the let's say there's ten news segments, yep. nine of them are going to be negative.
1: That's right. None of right.
0: them are going to be negative. That one positive about somebody winning the lottery or someone turning like 110. Um, mm-hmm. that's usually the that's usually like the positives, or you know, they're at an assisted living home and someone's like playing bingo or or something like that. Yeah. That one, that one positive does not outweigh the war that's going on or the potential war that can go on. Covid and everything that's going on there, the racial du- duress that we're in, like you know, our president is Biden is interesting. You know, the president we right. just we we got rid of, like that. It's right. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> it's You're right. So, it's too much. <laughs> it's You're it's right. too much, and that one that one positive piece mm-hmm. is not enough to outweigh. The negative like I'm not and I'm not doing it and I I, I'm not going to encourage people not to watch the news but I will encourage people to kind of dial it back a little bit if you're used to watching the news every single day multiple times a day like I encourage you to to dial that back Dial That's it back right. a little bit and, and see how life, see how your life changes because it That's will, right. it will, it won't happen immediately. Um, It's definitely not an overnight success story here. This is That's a right. lot of time, a lot of um, conscious and purposeful, intentional steps and tricks that I've used and you've probably used as well to navigate right. from like listening and, and being all in the, the messiness of the world and right. and because oh gosh, we're messy. The world's messy, it, right. is. it is a messy place. You're Listen, right. The world is messy, and I'm just here to leave it a little better than I found it.
1: That's right.
0: You know? Awesome, awesome. Okay, Chris. Um, do you have anything that you want to share? with our listeners
1: right now? Uh, yes, I do. Actually, I want to let the listeners know that every single one of them that's listening right now, you are valuable. Literally, you are a walking miracle. So when I talk to people, I give them these two, these two statistics. First statistic, one in 400 trillion. That's is what the scientists estimate is the chance, the probability of you being born. One in 400 quadrillion, that is what the scientists estimate is the chance of you being conceived by your parents. Those numbers, probably most people aren't even gonna count to those numbers. Those numbers are huge, right? And you made it through you actually made it through so i know that we may go through some things and it may make you feel less valuable it may make you feel like you don't have a place on this earth and that you're not supposed to be here but the odds say different because you are that one in 400 trillion you are that one in 400 quadrillion and you have a reason for being here you have the gift you are purpose to do something in this world so know that And feel that and walk in that and make sure that you're able to have a good, positive mindset along that journey. Because it's going to be healing, right? When you're going on and you're reaching your goals and dreams and you're getting past traumatic situations, it's not a straight line. And so having the right mindset and being able to get through that, being able to speak life into yourself and even say out loud, I talk out loud to myself all the time, I can do this. I know I can do this. Right. And Steve Harvey, I was listening to one of his motivational talks and he mentioned everybody, everybody in this world that's living right now today has had a bad day and you have survived that bad day 100 percent of the time because you're here right now. And that's not to say that in the future, you're not going to have other days that are bad or whatnot, but you can survive it because you survived it before. And look at your past, the things that you had that you thought at the time, this is challenging. I can't do this, right? And you were able to push forward and get past that time and you're currently past it or you're currently working on healing and getting through it. Look at that and see where you were and look at where you at now. So when you get into another situation, another obstacle, you're able to look back on your past accomplishments, looks back on your past journey and see that you were able to get through. And that should give you motivation, inspiration, encouragement to know that you are able and that God is with you. You know, I'm not here to tell you what God to believe in. I believe in a higher power, but whatever you believe in, spiritually higher power creator, whatever the case may be, is with you right now. Love it. Love it. Thank you. Thank you so
0: much for that. Um, mm-hmm. Where can we find you? How can we support support you? Where can we find your book? All kinds of stuff like that.
1: Yep. Yeah, okay. Um, actually, you can find my book you can go to mymindmysuccess.com, mymindsucces com, m y m i n d s u c c e s s dot com. There you can sign up for uh, the email list, which you know we'll have uh, surprises and giveaways and things like that. There's also a buy now uh, button where you can buy the book, which is control your mindset to control your life. It is uh, on Amazon as well, and um, I'm also on. Uh, on Instagram, Blue Soldier, B L U E S O U L D I E R. So I put a lot of different motivational clips there, and you can kind of see behind the scenes of my life and my family and uh, and, and things like that as well. Um, so, those are a couple of places you can actually connect with me. Um, you can send me an email, Chris at Positive Thought Solutions as well. And uh, if you got any questions, if you're looking for a speaker for a college or a corporation or an event, um just please email me. Let me know. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Chris,
0: one more final question for you. You ready? Yep. Awesome, awesome. What does resilience mean to you?
1: Resilience to me means getting myself set back up from a setback, all right? Because resilience is the ability to to get through setbacks. And when you get through setbacks, you're setting yourself back up for success. And so whenever there is a challenge or a trial or tribulation in your life, you might get set back, but that resilience kicks in and you're setting yourself up to move forward and being able to get through it. And you can get through it and you will get through it. Perfect, perfect.
0: Chris, 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 thank you so, so very much for taking out some, some time. I know you're a busy guy. So taking some time to hang out with us, share your stories, your strategies, and your systems, and how you um, overcome obstacles. And definitely, definitely, definitely throwing in that leadership perspective. Um, loved it. I know our listeners will love it.
1: Thank you. Thank you so That's much, Erin. Thank you for having me. And thank you for this, this platform, too. Oh, man, everybody needs... To have resilience in dealing with navigating through life. So I appreciate you and having this platform for people to come on and people to be able to listen and get tips and stuff to help make themselves better. I just really appreciate that. So thank you for having me. Of course, of course, of course.
0: Chris, thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good one, Aaron. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Resilience in Action with Aaron Brown. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And I want you to remember one thing, resilience in action will always lead to a greater human experience.